Thanks for tuning into the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Harry Smith. Harry is a personal trainer and nutritionist who I've known for a few years now. Uh, natural bodybuilding is one of his passions, and he has a ream of qualifications that he's attained in pursuit of that passion. Uh, he helps clients with their physique goals, with a focus on weight loss and muscle gain. And because of this, Harry is a relatively recent addition to Team Revive Stronger as a natural bodybuilding coach. Due to the current COVID-19 situation, I wanted to speak to Harry about some of the ways that people can continue to progress towards their weight loss or muscle building goals, despite being stuck at home or not being able to get to the gym. Uh, this conversation covers a lot of ground, and Harry has a surprisingly large amount of solutions to help people pursue their goals at this difficult time. I really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it, because I know I learned a lot myself. And if you do, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting the like button and subscribing for more great podcasts. And if you can, please, please, please share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps to promote the podcast to more people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak, which means I can get even more great content out to you. So... Onto this conversation with Harry. Let's talk science. Harry, how are we doing? I'm great, thanks, mate. I'm great. How are you doing? Very, very good. It's good to uh, to see you after so long. It's probably been over a year since the last time I saw you. Yeah, for sure. I think it was probably in Nottingham, uh, one of the. It, very, very, yeah. very, very likely in Nottingham, a, a long time ago. Um, one of us was possibly drunk. Um, <laughs> no, no further Just comments. Just one. I swear. <laughs> Just one. Well, I'm going to put it like this. I don't drink, so. <laughs> I stitched myself up there, didn't I? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, Harry, how have you, how are you doing uh, in quarantine right now? Um, I am surviving. I have managed to set myself up with a perfect little man cave here, which is where I'm doing all of my work and all of my relaxing as well. So basically, I've got my laptop, I've got my iPad, and I've got my games consoles, and I've got my garage gym downstairs. So I'm actually pretty sweet. I think I'm in a really fortunate position. How are you doing? Um, good, yeah. I don't have a games console. Um, I'm going to say unfortunately or potentially fortunately as well, because I don't know if I, if I have enough self-control to stay away from it all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got a girlfriend for that. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They do more than five minutes. She's like, why are you still playing that? So, yeah. <laughs> I actually, funnily enough, I did start playing a game for the first time in years uh, on Sunday because I just wanted to, dis to disconnect completely. And it is a really, really good way to disconnect, really, really good way to just yeah, switch sure. the mind off and, and relax for a while, which I think a lot of people might need to do right now. Or some people might be doing a little bit too much from us. Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's definitely a, a decompressing and disconnecting exercise, for sure. Absolutely. Just like training would normally be. Yeah, um, uh, so, and, and I think it's kind of good to have a bit of a mix of both, because um, we've been having a lot of conversations with people lately about, so not all of our free time or our disconnect time, not all of it needs to be productive, so, you know, you don't need to be in the gym, or you don't always need to be, you know, working on your business or something like that, you know, it's nice to kind of be able to do something just for the fun of doing it, you know. Yeah, for sure. I know I get that guilt when uh, you're not doing something productive, and then you end up <laughs> doing... Like you, you go and establish a cycle, don't you, where you're like, I should be doing something productive right now. And you end up not enjoying the downtime that you're supposed to be having because you're giving yourself exactly. a hard time about not being productive. Yeah. 
a surprisingly common uh, problem, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Harry, just for anybody who might not uh, know who you are, might, might not be familiar with your work, would you mind giving us a bit of a, an introduction, just uh, who you are, what's your background, what do you do right now? Yeah, I'll go for it. Giving your own bios is always really strange, isn't it? But um, anyway, so my name's Harry. As you know, you've already watched the video. Richie's already introduced me. I am a personal trainer and a nutritionist, and I've spent the best part of my career, so the last six or seven years, working with people in person. So that is in person for training and nutrition, but also working online with people as well for probably the last four or five years. Currently, I'm working with um, Team Revive Stronger, so you may or may not be aware of them, but we focus mainly on kind of working with people who have bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding and aesthetics at the top of their training priorities. So we don't really work with people for any performance goals. We have a couple of powerlifters, but for the most part, it's about getting people jacked and getting people happy. So that's the main thing. But um, yeah, I'd say over my career in the sort of one-to-one -one personal training industry, I've worked largely with what I consider to be like general population, uh, women age sort of probably 20 to 35 who are looking to do their last diet and kind of figure out how the hell to get in shape for life rather than just another fad. So two really distinctly different demographics that I've worked with. And you, you've been with Revive Stronger. It's, it's, quite a, it's quite a recent move to, to join them, isn't that right? Yeah. So I've been friends with the founder and co-founder, Pascal and Steve, for a few years now. And um, I've been working with them since, officially, since end of September. But I think it was probably a couple months before that, but I wasn't allowed to say anything. <laughs> All right, okay. I, I had your, loads going on, yeah. So that, I, that was I your trial. And stuff. If it didn't go well, they could have just thrown you. <laughs> yeah, so they could, they, basically they could trial me and then if it all went to hell, they could uh, just get rid of me and pretend it never happened and no one would know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it's done in the industry. Um, so just, just out of curiosity, so that is quite a significant switch going from, let's say, um, general weight loss to, uh, to bodybuilding and prep coaching. Um, how have you found the change and, you know, has there been a, like, has there been much of a learning curve with it? Um, I've always kind of had those two demographics all along. So that's why I started online training, uh, online coaching quite a while ago, because I found that I was getting a lot of, obviously like one-to-one -one personal training in a gym, you tend to attract a lot of the same demographic. It's the type of people that are looking for an in-person trainer and they didn't necessarily sign up with me because of me or who I am or my merits. They just wanted a trainer and I was the nearest trainer or the, for whatever reason, I was the best choice for them. But then all along, because I'm someone who is very open about my own interest in natural bodybuilding, I've always had people asking questions and applying and asking for advice online from that side of things. So kind of since, almost since day one, I've had the one arm in the, like you said, like the gen pop weight loss coaching and then one arm in the kind of online muscle building coaching as well. So it didn't really feel like there was too much of an adjustment phase. It felt like I just have, instead of being, say, 90-10 one way, I'm more like 50-50, 60-40 the other way now. But I'm enjoying them both equally. Like, it's like two, you love both groups for completely different reasons. I suppose okay. we'll get into those reasons then. <laughs> We, we, we will. Um, like one, one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on today is obviously, you know, you have a speciality in, in working with people with, you know, kind of gen pop, which would be, uh, I'd imagine, a lot of weight loss focus. But you've also got this um, focus on the bodybuilding prep. And at the moment, um, thanks to COVID-19, uh, a lot of, let's say, people's bodybuilding goals may have been, let's say, well, somebody may have thrown a bit of a, a monkey wrench into the works 
and they may have gotten upset about what to do. Can they continue with the, these goals? Um, will they be able to keep going? Should they just give up altogether on what they were doing? It, it because the universe has just said, no, no, it's it's not time for you right now. Um, so I really, really wanted to speak uh, to you. You know, somebody in the, in the industry who knows about this and is currently working with a lot of people on this about how people can deal with this situation because obviously nobody can go to the gym right now unless they've got a sweet, um, you know, garage gym like yours truly. Um, but uh, I, I suppose the first thing to, to ask is how has the reaction from your what's the reaction from your client base been like with the kind of the, the advent of uh, COVID nineteen? Do you know what made me feel really warm and fuzzy inside was the fact that. I anticipated a meltdown from everyone and I didn't get a single meltdown that if anything, it was my, like it was me over preparing, preparing for a nuclear fallout and getting like a million different training programs ready, asking everyone what home equipment they had and almost bracing myself for like the worst event that's ever happened. And then uh, every client check-in that came in, I expected them to be like, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. And I can honestly say every single client, was like, this is such a cool, new, interesting challenge for us to take on, and I'm really excited to do it. And then, you know, when you get those things and you get a check-in from a client, and you're like, ah, oh, like, that just, that's the best thing I could have heard. And I, I love them all because, honestly, every single person has had such a positive attitude towards the whole thing, and it's made being a coach so much more enjoyable right now because this, like I said, I was anticipating this being a massive disaster, but it really wasn't. Everyone has just fully taken on board the idea of it being a new challenge, and they're almost they're, they're excited to see if they can still achieve their goals in this completely different environment, like almost thinking it's me versus Corona, which I think is really cool, rather than being like, oh, no, we can't do it now. Now what? So I'm really impressed with everyone. I'm really happy. And I kind of wanted to give everyone like a virtual fist bump and a hug when they said that. But yeah, so. No, it's really, really good to hear that because it probably says a lot about you as a coach, because I think if they weren't confident with what you're doing with them or for them, you know, there might have been a little bit of a freak out, but, you know, you didn't get any of that, so it's, it's really, really good to hear. Um, I suppose with with what I'm going to kind of cover today, I, I suppose I'd really like to talk about how we might be able to help some people who are listening to, to the podcast or watching the live right now, um, help them with the next few weeks or the next few months uh, of training because we're going to have a lot of people obviously they need to train at home we'll have a few different groups of people we'll have you know people who are used to going to the gym we'll have some people who may have like we, we, had, we had a chat about this earlier and you said you know people who've started exercising purely out of boredom because there's nothing else to do at home um, so there's a, a lot of different kind of uh, facets of this to cover um, but the first thing I suppose would be kind of talking to people about setting some realistic goals when it comes to uh, what they can do over the the next few weeks or months. So just out of curiosity, how do you usually go about setting those kind of goals with, with your own clients? So with the um, general weight loss clients, the main goals that we would have would be body weight targets, um, body circumference measurements, and kind of more ethereal ones. So more like someone's own um, opinion and attitude towards something. So, for example, if someone used to say, like, have negative thoughts around food or negative thoughts around going out, if we can then change those so they now feel indifferent or positive about those kind of food environments, then that would be uh, kind of a success as well. But that's, I'd say, more for sort of the gen pop side of things. And then for the physique stuff, it's 
we want to track body circumference measurements and then basically appearance in photos. And we use body weight as a proxy for tracking progress, but it's not the be all and end all. And then in a situation like right now, um, because it's unprecedented and we don't really know what's going to happen. Like we know the criteria we need to hit in order to create muscle growth, but we don't know how well we can hit it in this environment yet because we're still in kind of the early stages of almost doing that observational research, so to speak. So for those people, at least, kind of, we kind of set the goal of um, weight maintenance. We assess what weight maintenance is, and then we'll push them into, depending on whether they were, say, in a prep or in a muscle building phase. If they're in a muscle building phase right now, then we kind of reassess what maintenance is and then push them into a very small calorie surplus apply the principles we know that work so we know that we need to be hitting every muscle group at least twice a week in their training block we know that we need to be um, doing at least 10 hard sets per muscle group and we know we want to aim to fall within 10 to 20 reps per set and get very close to failure so we apply those principles to the bodyweight exercises that we have access to and then essentially reassess every two weeks to see how things are going if we can hit the rate of weight gain that we we targeted to be appropriate for their goal so for most people um, I'd look at gaining about 1% a month if they're in like a muscle building phase right now. 1% of their body weight a month. So if you weighed 100 kilos, you're looking to gain at least a kilogram in that month. You could probably go a little bit faster. But right now, because this is an unprecedented situation, I'm actually aiming for a much slower rate of weight gain of people because I don't want to make all my clients fat. We're giving <laughs> them like massive weight gain targets, especially because like I said, it's an unprecedented situation. And then with the general weight loss clients right now, what we've been talking a lot about is more of the mental stuff and around the nutrition, because right now this is a very difficult situation to navigate nutritionally when you're essentially left alone to your own devices with just your frid, fridge for company. So all the food that you panic bought, even the stuff that you wouldn't normally buy, like a lot of clients have kind of said, like if they have kids, then they've, they've bought almost like a few weeks worth of the kids like treats. But then now you're very aware that there's like 35 chocolate penguins in the cupboard versus before. And, and also motivation has taken a big dip now as well. So the main things we're focusing on goal setting wise is to push people back into a really good routine, come up with strategies for avoiding eating all the food right now, and then um, clearly identifying new things to focus on for progress proxies. Like I said, like the slower weight gain targets than usual, the visual pictures and the attitudes towards um, being in a particular food environment and that kind of thing. If, if we focus on, um, let's say, on the weight loss side of things right now, uh, if, because I really, really want to get into, into training as well. But if we focus on, on the weight loss side of things, so you mentioned a couple of things where people's food environment has changed a little bit in that, you know, people are probably experiencing a lot more boredom. When people are bored, they, they bored and eat, unfortunately. They're also in an environment where, you know, some houses have stocked up, like you said, with, with a lot of food. So the food is always there. It's always tempting, especially if you're bored. Um, and you said that there's a big drop in motivation. So how do you go about tackling each of those individually? Or wh where's your first point of attack when it comes to, uh, to kind of helping people with that? The first point of attack is essentially just giving people the time to let their hair down like one week of um, not having a panic, but one week of just not having a nutrition goal is perfectly fine. Uh, one week of letting people figure out what their bearings are and that kind of thing. And then just letting them know that's okay as well. Cause I've had a lot of clients have uh, in their check-ins, they've said like um, in hindsight that, Oh, I didn't tell you last week, but I really went off the rails nutritionally, but I didn't want to get in trouble for it. 
But this week they've come, come clean about it because my attitude towards them was that if you have gone off the rails, it's absolutely fine. It, this is like a totally new situation. No one's expecting you to still adhere to your diet when you've just found out that you've got to close your business for like three months or whatever. But now we are, that's behind you, kind of the, the original emotional situation there has kind of dissipated a bit and you're able to think of it a little bit more clearly. Now we're going to put together a new routine and then figure out how we can, if we need to change your goals, we'll change them to be more appropriate right now. If we've got the same goals, we'll create a new routine based on your new environment that will get you to the goals that you want to get. And I, I'm a big fan of, it's not because I'm a lazy coach, but I'm a big fan of getting clients to come up with their own routine rather than making it myself because but you're nodding along, so you know this yourself. Like when you just give people a meal plan and a routine, it doesn't mean that much. Like having them, having created it themselves, creates that autonomy and that buy-in from the person. And they know their routine a hell of a lot more than we can ever know it. So getting them to make it themselves, I think is a big, big part of it. And then um, just letting them know that it's okay to have slip-ups right now. And then reduce, say someone's goal was to lose, I don't know, um, 10 kilos by June. We would then say, how about we shift the goals? So we're now looking to lose five to 10 kilos by June rather than 10 kilos by June, because this is an unprecedented situation. Like I've said already, we don't know how it's going to go. We know it's a more challenging environment than you're used to. So we're just slowing down and like we're widening the goalpost and slowing down the speed at which we're trying to achieve it. So essentially, if we had a target that was this big, we've, I've just made the target this big. I like that. Um, I, I think being kind of helping people be a little bit more realistic with goals, possibly reassessing goals right now, depending on, on their capacity to, to achieve those goals is a really, really good option because um, when everything is going perfectly, even when everything is going perfectly, it's difficult to achieve certain goals. Um, and then when we're in a situation like the one we're in right now where you know, there's a lot of uncertainty around it does make or potentially make them a little bit more difficult to achieve. And, and I'm saying that very, very generally. I, I think that there's probably some people who are thinking right now, wow, this just made, has made my goals a hell of a lot easier. You know, so like some people might have a home gym, for, gym, for example, and the only issue they have is not having enough time. Maybe they've got their, their time now. But I think for, for the majority of people, it, this has added a layer of complexity to um, to whatever their, their physique goals might have been. Um so that, that's kind of like reassessing people's goals and kind of helping them with the, with the motivation. Um, one, one issue that people are constantly bringing up with me um, is the, let's say, the, the kind of almost overbearing presence of food uh, in close proximity. And I'm wondering how you kind of deal with that with people or, or how you help them deal with them, themselves. I've, I've jokingly made a video of a client where I grabbed a pack of biscuits, just threw them out the window and then shut the window and locked the door. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's not, that's not that useful advice, but the general gist of it is if you can remove the food from your environment then do so. And then also when you are doing your shopping, because we're encouraged to shop less frequently, obviously shopping less frequently means you have to buy more food at a time, only buy the food you would normally have bought in the first place. So just because you're, you know, like what was it that sold out first pasta and toilet roll? If you weren't, if, if pasta wasn't a staple of your diet anyway, you had no business stocking up on it in the first place. And we're lucky enough to live in like the, the Western developed world where our food supply chains are for the most part uninterrupted. So we don't need to be stocking up on like the, the really long life foods, at least right now, at least. So for that part, try and stick to the normal food you'd buy. And then for most clients, I've actually recommended um, them have not necessarily recommended, but said it's OK if you want to get some foods out of your system for now. Not encourage a binge by any means, but I'm saying like 
look, I know you love chocolate and I know we limited that particular food for you for your last three months of dieting. Go and have a bar of Galaxy or Dairy Milk, whatever it is now. And then just kind of accept that like it, this is a, a kind of a treat you're allowing yourself temporarily because we now want to resume your diet at at least some of the intensity that it had before. And then from there, I've actually been decreasing people's food palatability because if you if your fridge has only got celery, tomatoes, um, garlic, cloves, and I don't know potatoes in it, like you're a lot less likely to that's a lot less likely to play on your mind versus if you know that you've got um, let's say like mulakorna yogurts and you've got loads of tasty cereals, there's ice cream, there's chocolate bars, there's like chicken wings, all that stuff and, and pizza in the freezer, all that stuff is gonna um, because it's so much more palatable. It's gonna if you think of like a food spectrum from um, boring and zero palatability palatability even to amazing and high palatability the stuff at this end of the, of the spectrum will always occupy more mind space than the stuff for the people listening there's like yeah big spectrum on the left hand side we've got um low palatability foods so basically boring vegetables and then on the right hand side we've got high palatability foods so like chocolate crisps pizzas that kind of thing the that spectrum is always going to be the same way where the stuff on the left occupies next to no mind space at all and the stuff on the right occupies a hell of a lot of like mental space so i've been encouraging clients to try and purchase as many of their kind of dietary staples from the left end of the spectrum rather than the right end of the spectrum and trying to get their carbohydrates from the most boring sources possible to reduce the likelihood of overeating and to generally just not buy things like peanut butter and nutella and stuff like that because that jar is not going to last in absolutely situation I, I think so. You know, as much as we we talk about like the intricacies of, of nutrition and how people can you know uh, use it to their advantage, and how much we talk about flexible dieting, I think controlling somebody's environment, um, food environment, especially at home, is one of the simplest and most effective ways for for somebody to to let's say free up that mental space. Because like you, like you said, people do it, it does occupy a lot of people's minds if they know something you know hyper palatable is there. And uh, easy access in the home, and and just because something is lower palatability doesn't mean it has to be completely boring or tasteless. Like you know, you you can you can make a very very tasty and satisfying meal. Um, it's just you know probably not going to be a a Nutella topped pizza or something like that. You know, which yeah, we would love pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So okay, control your. Let's say think about your motivation. Think about your your goals. Reset your goals. Think about uh, controlling your food environment, and then that's focusing on, on kind of the, the weight loss side of things. If we think about, like, I think one of the major concerns that a lot of people had was that they wouldn't be able to exercise anymore. And when people feel like that they can't exercise the way they're they're kind of used to exercising, it's almost an excuse to stop exercising entirely. Um, what's so if we talk about people who are trying to put on muscle and to to kind of to gain some lean mass in the next couple of months, what way do you kind of start the conversation with with your clients about what they need to do and what they need to achieve and what's realistic for them? Um, I've said to everyone, so I basically get a baseline for what their current situation is like. If they are like most of us are, just stuck at home with nothing to do except watch Netflix and play video games, then I have pitched to a lot of them because. A lot of the guys I work with online and, and women as well. Training is their their bay. Like it's the thing they care about above all else. So I've I've said to them, how would you feel about training twice a day for a lot of people? 
And I'd say half clients jumped on it and they're like, this is a really cool idea. Like I've always been curious about whether training twice a day is actually viable or if it leads to more gains or not. But I've never had the time. So I've said, well, let's make training obviously beyond the important stuff, like making sure your finances are in line and you're helping your family and stuff. But I'm mean, like, let's make training a higher priority than it ever was before. And then for a lot of people, we program twice daily training sessions where that's not as crazy as it sounds. It's not like you're doing like a full chest workout in the morning and a back workout in the evening. It's more like um, you get a little bit more volume done, but you do a little bit less in every session. So basically, if a normal training session might be, at least at home, um, some kind of pull up on, I don't know, like a cross member of like your house and then a, say, a feet elevated press up. And then maybe um, you would then do some like banded upright rows or some banded bicep curls and then like bodyweight tricep extensions. You would just split it up. So you do all the compounds in the morning and then all the isolations in the evening. So then that way, instead of your um, fatigue kind of increasing and your performance diminishing across the session, you have high performance and low fatigue in both sessions. So you could argue that it might lead to like maybe five to 20 percent more productivity per exercise. But like I said before, you might never have had the opportunity to try out training twice a day before. So that's one thing we've done is try and make training like a, a bigger priority than it was. And then the other thing is kind of said let's not try to um, copy and paste your gym workouts into your house because that's just going to lead to you feeling frustrated and feeling like things are ineffective or less effective. So with most clients have completely redesigned, well, all clients have completely redesigned all of their training blocks to make use of things I actually have access to. And then I've kind of got out my, my dusty, my dusty tomes of body weight training from back in the early days when I qualified as a PT to, and I've added loads of new exercises for clients to focus on but deliberately adding exercises, which I know that that client hasn't done before. Because like you know, when it, even if we take, say, barbell bench press, for example, if you have um, never done a barbell bench press before, and then all of a sudden it's in your program, you know there's probably three to nine months of progression in that exercise, where to start with, you're going to be learning how to do it. You're not necessarily going to be growing muscle. And then once you learn how to do it, you'll get better at the movement and then be able to apply more force and get more gains. That still applies with all of the bodyweight exercises too. So if someone has never done, um, say, bodyweight dips between two chairs before, or someone has never done um, inverted rows where they put a broomstick across two chairs, then they're really nice new novel stimuluses or stimuli for us to grow more muscle with, which is really cool. So I've kind of encouraged people to think about all the new cool things that we're doing and the months of progression we have ahead of us rather than the, uh, the barbell that they were in love with like two weeks ago. I, I think that's a that's a really really good point is to kind of focus on the opportunity that people have mm -hmm. to, to try things because even I find myself with my own training I can be very very um, for want of a better word limited in what I do um, I tend to stick to similar movements and this this whole situation has kind of kind of thrown me or forced me into uh, thinking outside the box and trying trying new things that I have either never tried before or you know, just haven't tried in, in, in a few years. So, yeah, I, and I, I agree. And I think, I don't know about you, but well, probably not in your case because you have a home gym, but I know that my first week of trying home workouts, I was in absolute bits. Like, I was in so much pain from things that I didn't think would cause me pain at all. And I think it's just, one, the, the new movement, and then, you know, just uh, just kind of feeling like a newbie with some uh, some new workouts. Yeah, um, I did for the first week of like UK lockdown. Um, I had so much to do that I thought I'm not going to bother training in the garage this week. So I'm not going to do any 
like barbell movements and I'm actually going to do the workouts that I prescribe my clients. And if any of them are watching this now, they will be laughing because I, I underestimated how difficult they were. The workouts were just like you did. I programmed people like three to four sets of a lot of the bodyweight compound exercises. And then I actually did a couple of the workouts live myself. And then in the middle of the workout, I was just like, this is way too hard. <laughs> like, I'm going to cut all those sets in half. So for most people, their first check-in was me delivering the program saying, here you go, four sets of split squats, four sets of deficit push-ups. And then the ne like two days later, me going, I'm really sorry, two sets of Bulgarian split squats, two sets of push-ups, because I was there myself completely crippled because I tried out a lot of the workouts I programmed. And was, like you, I was humbled very quickly by those workouts. And that made me really excited about them too, because if, and, and all clients were reporting that they'd been, say, I even had clients messaging me saying like, um, I did my leg workout on Friday. It's now Wednesday. I still don't think I'm recovered enough to do the next leg workout. Can I skip it? And I'm like, absolutely. But I never get that from people when I program their workouts, um, like using barbells and dumbbells and stuff, or at least very rarely. So it's really cool to see like people who are very, these are, these are experienced guys as well, like guys who have done bodybuilding shows or personal trainers themselves. And they're saying like, the body weight split squash ruined me. Can I have an extra rest day? So yeah, it is effective. So obviously at, at the start, it's going, it is going to be very, very tough. Just like anything, there's, there's going to be one, the, the learning curve that comes with, with learning a new movement um, there. And there's going to be just like the initial muscle pain that happens, happens as well. But people, I think people will get to a point that once they're used to them, um, they'll be very, very, uh, they'll, they'll be focused on how they can progress with those exercises. And especially if we're talking about people who are in, um, in the bodybuilding sphere of things where they're trying to continuously push themselves, they're trying to add weight, they're trying to add more volume to their workouts, um, to, to kind of continuously strive to, to get bigger and stronger. Um, what are some of the kind of techniques that you recommend people use to help kind of to help with that, to in increase the intensity that people are looking for and to, to help people with progression uh, as we go through this? When you ask a, like a bodybuilder these questions, they're literally like, yeah. So um, supersets, everyone knows, well, people should really know what a superset is if they are interested in training. Um, and we've got a lot of options here regarding supersets specifically. So you could do antagonistic pairing. So you could pair your pushing exercises with pulling exercises. That generally works better for time efficiency. But if we're trying to, say, make exercises that individually aren't hard themselves, we're trying to make them harder, then I would use um, sort of, say, muscle supersets or compounded supersets. So pairing two quad exercises together. So perhaps doing Bulgarian split squats straight into bodyweight squats or maybe even something like a um, slider leg curl, you know, where you... Do you know what I mean by slider leg curl, where you have your feet yeah, on? Like, if you want, I think, like, uh, feel free to explain any of these movements to, to people okay. as well. I think it would be beneficial. So what I've had a lot of clients doing is using, like, a sort of floor dusters and putting their feet in the loop where the, they would normally attach to the broom and then sliding, like, essentially elevating your hips and pulling your heels in. So you're replicating a leg curl movement. But doing that before doing, say, a single leg deadlift or something like that. So you're compounding, doing like two hamstring exercises back to back or two quad exercises back to back. Whereas our traditional training might have been like you do all of your, say, all of your squats and then you rest and then you do all of your leg extensions <clears throat> and then you rest, et cetera, et cetera. We go leg extension, squat, rest, leg extension, squat, rest. And uh, what I mean by leg extension in this case could be something like a, um, a sissy squat. So I feel like I might as well demo a sissy squat. So a sissy squat is the one you can't really see it. 
but it's where you would slowly drop your knees down to the ground, stretch them out, and then straighten yourself back up. So you essentially replicate a uh, leg extension movement, but imagine the ground is the roller that you would normally lift up and almost like an inverted leg extension. So a lot of supersets like that, and they're called pre-exhaust supersets. So pre-exhausting a muscle is doing an isolation exercise first before moving on to a compound. Because we know like if you can squat, say, I don't know, 120 kilos for 10 reps, then the, for you to hit failure with bodyweight squats, it might well take you like 150 reps. And then by that point, you're either going to be bored, so you're going to convince yourself that you failed, your quads are going to cramped because you've burned through all your glycogen, or you're just going to cardio yourself out of, out of the set. Like we've all been there where, especially in the early days of PT, where we program these silly workouts and think they're effective and you try it, and then before your quads even get taxed, your lungs are exploding. So we don't want that to happen. So in that instance, we would do things that say the, the easier exercise prior to the harder one or even the other way around, just pairing exercises like that. And um, regarding progression in the long term, because that is a big issue right now, or at least people perceive it to be a big issue. But we're forgetting. So if we take a barbell bench press, think of all the variations of bench press you can do there. So you can go for a close grip bench press. You can go for a wide grip bench press. You could go for pause presses. You could go and do some kind of JM press where you do like a hybrid with a skull crusher. You could go super wide. Um, you could do incline variants. We have all those options as well with the bodyweight ones. So if we take a push-up, you could have the standard push-up where your hands are just wider than shoulder width. You could go nice and close to replicate a close grip press-up. You could go nice and wide to replicate a wide grip bench press. You could elevate your hands to create a deeper stretch. You could elevate your feet. You could um, elevate your upper body so you're hitting more of a decline so we have just as many options and the same with the leg exercises as well so if we take a a split squat you could do a standard split squat where you have your back foot on the sofa or something like that you could then jump forward so you have a much wider stance split squat you could go much closer so you have a very close stance split squat it's a really hard word to say very quick um you could do very very slow eccentrics you could do um very very forceful concentrics you could um, do like one and a quarter reps. So you could do one training block where you say have a standard split squat for four to six weeks. And then in the second one, you could elevate your front foot and your back foot. And then in the third block, so we're now talking, this is around 10 weeks post lockdown now. You could then do, um, where was I going? My mind has run away from me. Uh, you said one and a quarter reps. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and then for your third block, you could say, instead of doing going all the way down to your knee touching the floor and all the way up again. You could go halfway down, back up, and then all the way up, all the way down. So you're, you're vastly increasing the time under tension there. So there we go. We've already got around 12 to 15 weeks of progressions there. And then you could do, say, your next one could be both feet elevated one and a quarter reps and then progress that way. And then by that point, you've had nearly four months since you've done standard split squats. You can go back to the standard split squats. So you create an evergreen cycle of exercises and that's all bodybuilding is at the end of the day. And that's why I'm really glad that I'm working with bodybuilders right now, not powerlifters, because we aren't married to any specific exercise. So we don't have to be attaching resistance bands to broomsticks to try and do bench press. Like we can just do press ups instead. Like, so yeah, uh, the long-term progression is actually what makes me really excited. You can tell I've been a bit more animated since talking about that <laughs> because I've almost got all these things in, in the books that I'm planning to throw at clients, but, almost like I'm saving my big guns for later when I inevitably inevitably get to that point where we need to um, find a way to make things harder in the long term. 
But and please redirect me when I go off on a tangent as well. Oh no, no, I, uh, t- tangents are are very good. You you mentioned two points, uh, and I just wanted to wondered if you could develop them for us a little bit. Um, so you mentioned time under tension, and you mentioned eccentric movements, and I was wondering if you could kind of. Uh, give a little bit of explanation of what those are for people and how they might be able to um, implement them in their own training. So let's hit eccentrics first because it's probably the simpler one. So the eccentric part of an exercise is the part of the movement where you are lowering the load. So if you are doing a press-up, the eccentric is when you move closer to the floor. If you're doing a squat, well, everything right now, because gravity is our only form of resistance, the eccentric is when you are moving closer to the floor. So in order to make an exercise much more taxing, you can um, slow down the eccentric movement significantly. So instead of your squat maybe taking one second to go from top to bottom, you can make it take three seconds to go from top to bottom. And what we know that this does is it the, the much slower muscle contraction for, uh, causes a lot more of the, the kind of me- metabolite muscle contraction byproducts. So the, the burny things, it makes more burny things appear when you're doing the squat or doing the press up. And you'll feel it much more in that target muscle. So most, to be honest, I encourage like not slow eccentrics, but very controlled eccentrics anyway. But I'm kind of gone, like double down on the eccentric speed for a lot of exercises, especially the more technical movements and something like a um, Bulgarian split squat. No one wants to do them anyway, let alone doing a rear foot elevated split squat for 20 to 30 reps. So if we slow your eccentric down to three to four seconds per rep, then you might fail at 15 reps which means better for all of us because you're not stuck spending five minutes per set per leg. And uh, we're actually getting some kind of motivational factor out of the exercise itself because you're actually, you're, you're failing rather than just quitting, which is the, the main thing that we want to achieve. And regarding the time under tension. So time under tension is a um, more of a concept of uh, measure, trying to measure like how long a set lasts. So there's a theory in bodybuilding that, a greater time under tension, so a greater set length is better for muscle hypertrophy. But what in research it actually shows it's not necessarily the case. What what you find is that um, say one muscle group might respond very well to high reps, another muscle group might respond very well to lower reps. But when you look at the those kind of exercise profiles, typically an isolation exercise has a very short range of motion, like a bicep curl. It takes one second to do it. So if you did 30 reps, it'd take 30 seconds versus say a pull-up because it's got a much greater range of motion it might take three seconds to do each rep so 10 pull-ups even though it's 10 reps versus 30 reps actually takes around the same amount of time as say a bicep for a bicep curl for much more reps so we we know that an, an effective set tends to last around 20 to 45 20 to 60 seconds so if we know that we want to attain that with bodyweight exercises as well we might have to slow down some reps to achieve that um, hope that makes sense. Yeah, what we, what we wouldn't want is for your set to say last like 15 seconds. Equally, we wouldn't want your set to last two minutes straight either, because then it just becomes cardio. Um, yeah, and and the thought of a set lasting two minutes is like I it literally sounds like the thing of nightmares for me. Um, I think the, the only exception is high rep leg presses, because I they're completely disagree. <laughs> Like That's if you're doing twenty to thirty reps on a leg press, it's it's horrendous. But it's like maybe this is where the bodybuilder in me comes out. It's horrendous, but it's amazing at the same time because you hate every second of it while you're doing it, and you feel like you're going to die, and you ponder if dying would be preferable to what you're currently doing, and then you you pray, and then realize you're not religious, and then you become religious for the last thirty seconds of the set, 
And then uh, what's so frustrating about something like a leg press is it's the, the most brutal pain you've ever experienced. As soon as you rack it, you're like, oh, my legs feel good. To, well, not good to go, but you're like, oh, I could have got another one. Even though you <laughs> had like, yeah, that, that's, I have a real strange love affair with leg presses. But we should probably shouldn't speak about them right now because people don't have access to leg presses. We, we don't, although I did see a fantastic video this morning um, of uh, a movement, which I'm going to try and replicate at home, is if you put somebody, get this, you have to put somebody underneath the couch and they're lifting up the couch with their legs and then you can get somebody to sit on the, the couch basically above their legs and they can push it up that way. Seems like a very, very similar movement to a leg press. Also, very, very high likelihood of killing someone or at least snapping their spine. But Yeah, yeah. at least making it onto um, you've been framed or something like that. But exactly. <laughs> I, that's another thing. You've been framed. So they, they've given you 250 quid per video since like the early 90s. The thing that I find very strange is that it hasn't scaled with inflation. So 250 quid in the early 90s was like well worth doing. And it was probably got the equivalent to like 700 quid now. But then now it's like the, the incentive to send that clip in is, is much lower. Anyway, that's just a strange tangent. <laughs> The economics of you being framed. Um, hey, but still, people are still taking advantage of it, uh, I assume. I, I'll be completely honest, I didn't know that show was still running. Um, so. Maybe that's why. Maybe I'm just looking at repeats. Maybe that's why the, <laughs> the price hasn't changed. So you, you mentioned a few different um, ways people can exercise, and a lot of them have been pretty much without, without equipment. So push-ups, um, uh, bodyweight squats, things like that. When it comes to equipment that people can uh, can use at home, uh, and if we're talking about something easier, but so a lot of stuff is sold out already. But if availability wasn't a major issue, uh, what would be some of the first pieces of equipment that you would recommend to people uh, to use at home to kind of to improve their workouts or to add a little bit of variety or even more resistance to the workouts that they're doing? Um, it depends on someone's budget, but if we were to say set a budget at 200 pounds because i feel like that is an amount that in a pinch most people can come up with in short notice if the if the thing is of high priority to them so if we say you've got 200 pounds to get yourself an effective home gym for quarantine i'd say the first thing you'd want to get are um the have you seen like the adjustable dumbbells that go up to say 25 kilos or 27.5 kilos so i get them and i think they are about 180 quid or something like that i think i've seen some everlast ones and then i would spend the remaining 20 quid on um some on a resistance band multi-pack but make sure you get the 41 inch bands i haven't got one lying around here don't get the little like hip loop ig chick ones they're pretty much a waste of time for most people just because they there's that really thin latex where you know as soon as you apply tension to it it just rolls itself up rather than you want to get like the thicker bands and i'd say you want to get from 12 kilos of resistance all the way up to say like 30 or 40. And you can usually get that in a multi-pack. I know Decathlon do that in a multi-pack for like 12.99 or something crazy. Wow. But my experience of the Decathlon bands is they are very prone to breaking. But if you don't abuse them, they won't break. So if you are doing stupid things with it, expect to get slapped from the band when it breaks. But if you're using it appropriately, it won't break. And then that way we've got the dumbbells to do lots of different exercises with. They go up to... Um, 27.5 kilos so if you're doing lunges with 27 and a half in each hand that's like that's the kind of weight I would be doing in a gym anyway and then if you have the resistance bands too you can now add if you need to do exercises that have greater resistance so you could say do a goblet squat 27 and a half kilos which as you know is a hard goblet squat anyway because of how taxing it is to stay upright and hold the weight in the first place 
now you could loop, say, a resistance band around your neck and under your feet, and you're adding even more resistance there. And that'd be a killer workout for your spinal erectors as well, because the band would be pulling you down as well as the weight. So my equipment recommendations would be one of the uh, kind of multi-weight adjustable dumbbells, or just one of them, but they, I think they sell them as a pair anyway, so you might as well get the pair, and then a pack of resistance bands. And then if you do have anything left over, I would try and fashion a pull-up station of some kind somewhere, even if it's outside. <clears throat> like I've got a lot of uh, clients who their garage has like a kind of a vaulted ceiling and you can see the cross members in there. So they just drape a towel around one of the cross members so you don't get any splinters. Or And, and you know, like, because it's a right-angled piece of wood, it can be quite sharp on your hand. And then there they've got a pull-up station. Some people can do it on the stairs. And if anything, like if you've got 30 quid, you can buy a a doorway pull-up bar, but I, I'm very dubious of those. Like I've seen enough gym fail videos to not trust those. My first choice would be bolting some kind of, uh, like my, my brother has scaffolding and he has like jokingly put up scaffolding for his kid as a climbing frame. Just create, if you, if you have access to that, even scaffolding, some kind of pull-up bar that's elevated off the ground that you can use, that'd be awesome. So the pull-up bar and the dumbbells and the resistance band, those would be my, my three main things. Well, those are some fantastic, some really good tips, and like something along my own thinking about as well. Because if I think if if I wanted to kind of get a home gym set up, one of the first things I would do is get a nice set of adjustable dumbbells. Um, I just think they're so versatile. Um, and I think one thing that we really need to highlight on this, because I needed to highlight this with a, a client earlier on in the week, is the advantage of getting the properly adjustable dumbbell sets as opposed to getting a, a bar that you have to unscrew, put on the weights every time. I, I remember saying it to him, I said, it is an absolute pain in the ass changing dumbbells between sets. Um, so if you have a nice adjustable set, you literally put it in, you flick a little lever, and then it's, it's all ready to go. It's nice and easy and convenient, and you want to make it as convenient as possible. It's more expensive, it definitely is, but I think it's, it's absolutely worth it with the kind of the reduction in frustration you'll feel from using it. 100%. Um, the, the other one that, uh, the one that you didn't mention is, so I bought a set of push-up bars just because, yeah. Um, yeah, I just find really, they're really, really cheap. You'll get them for like, you know, 10 pounds or something like that. They're good on the wrists. Um, and they just give you a little bit of extra depth when you're doing uh, push-ups. I did get one of those door frame uh, chin-up bars and you can get, they're incredibly cheap. They're like uh, 15 pounds in some places. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you trust dubious. it, go for it. Yeah. See, this is the thing. Dubious is the word. Okay. So I, I, I had an idea where I was going to put it in my house, and it turns out our door frames are too large in virtually all of our doors. So there's one door in our house, door into our kitchen that I can't put it. Um, and I put it on, and I used it. And the first time I used it, there was such a strange creak out of the door that I was like. Oh my God, I don't think I can do this. But then I really wanted to do some chin-ups to get a workout in, so I tried it. So it's still working now, which is good. I haven't fallen down, haven't broken the door yet. Everything is okay. Um, definitely something worth, worth playing around with if you uh, if you like doing uh, chin-ups or, or pull-ups. Um, and then bands as well, yeah, I think are, are a fantastic idea. Again, really, really versatile and, like you said, super cheap as well. Um, you know, it's just something you don't need to spend a huge amount of money on and they, they can be used for um, so many. Good point. good point. Sorry, a good point with the bands is a lot of um, people I know went out and panic bought, like the, the Jack guys, you know, the big guys in the gym, they went out and panic bought the, the bands with the most resistance that they could find. But 
a band with, say, 16 kilos of resistance is a million times more versatile than a band with 80 kilos of resistance. Because what you find is if it's got 80 kilos of resistance, you can't even stretch it open to get inside it, let alone do an exercise with it. And just because they've got in their head that they can, say, squat 80 or bench 80 or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to use that band. I've got some myself, and it is hilarious. It's like, you know, uh, in the first Thor film where they're trying to pull Mjolnir out of the crater. It's like you're you're standing on one end of the band and you're trying to stretch it out and it's like it's not budging at all. So you're better off getting um, sort of somewhere around 10 to 20 kilos of band resistance. Any higher than that, it just becomes an exercise in itself to use it. And that can bring us back to motivation. You need to make your training as easy and as pleasant to do as possible. If you have to make too many compromises, you won't enjoy it. Like you said, with the kind of the spin lock dumbbells. I, I trained with those all through my teenage years and it resulted in me just not doing some exercises because I couldn't be asked to take the dumbbells apart. And given the situation we're in right now, you want to make exercise as accessible and as easy as you can. And that's why I designed like my garage gym the way I did. Like I didn't get the adjustable dumbbells that we're actually talking about. I, I bought a rack with dumbbells on it because I knew for myself and my own sanity, like given the option of having to fiddle with dumbbells or just pick up a five or pick up a 10 or pick up a 30, I'd much rather do that, but obviously I'm a trainer and that's, uh, that's my, my highest priority is the quality of my gym equipment in my garage. Um, that, I know that I'm an outlier, but for the most part, you want to make sure that it's as easy to get stuck into a workout as possible. That's why having a fixed pull-up bar is a great idea, like rather than something you have to keep fashioning or like the dumbbells, like having dumbbells where it's just a few clicks away from having 20 kilos or, or 10 kilos rather than, especially, you know, those spin lock collars, they're such a pain, aren't they? You do that thing where you're just slapping it, trying to unspin it, over and over and over again, especially on the bars where the collar's like this, the, the sleeve's like that long, and then you've got the collar there and you're like spinning it all the way along, yeah. And you know that, you'll look at it, and if you didn't put it away last time you used it and say it's got 40 kilos on it and you need five kilos, you're just gonna be like, oh. I know, I, and it, I think it just goes for everything with like with nutrition and training. The easier you make it, or like the easier you make it for yourself, the more likely it's going to happen. And that, that comes back down to the food environment that you were talking about, like, you know, making it easy for you to, to stick to whatever your, you know, whatever your goals are, whatever your diet plan is, you know, not having food in, in the house makes it easier for you to stick to your goals. Having equipment that's easier and faster and more convenient to use makes it more likely that you're going to do your workout and get a good workout out of it. And get towards your goals um and I, I suppose that's that's a major advantage of having like you know working with a professional like yourself is that you know you have all of this experience in the past you know you, you've uh, you've had to deal with spin lock dumbbells and uh, you know you can advise people straight away and say look do it this way and it'll make things a hell of a lot easier for you um one thing just before we finish up i want to talk about is so obviously for a lot of people i think they're they're overall activity levels are probably going to drop now just because we can't be outdoors. I know mine has because I used to cycle to work, for example, and that was like that was my, my form of cardio during the week, and that's gone now. Um, have you any recommendations for people, one, on how they can kind of increase their activity throughout the day um, while they're at home, or anything that they should be doing from a nutritional perspective to kind of try and... Um, let's say, uh, prevent themselves from, from gaining weight uh, in, in the coming weeks? So I've found with a lot of clients that their step count, we normally use um, step count as a sort of a proxy for daily total daily energy expenditure, so tracking caloric expenditure, basically. 
And right now, um, because people aren't really moving, or if they are moving, they're moving around the house, they might not necessarily be using a pedometer, or they're, because you're at home, your phone isn't in your pocket all day, so it's not tracking all the steps that you're getting. So I've actually moved away from um, using steps as like a, a measure for total daily energy expenditure. And a lot of the clients I work with have some kind of fitness watch like this. And myself, I've been just been looking at what it actually says my total daily energy expenditure is and just trying to keep that consistent. Because I know that my normal daily routine results in, again, it doesn't matter. These things aren't that accurate, but they're consistent. So my, according to this, my total daily energy expenditure is around 3000 a day. So I just do whatever I can to try and make it consistently fall around 3000 a day. I'm lucky enough to have a exercise bike at home. So I've been using that just to top up. So for 30 to 60 minutes a day, just to do it enough to boost the activity up. But um, if what I've recommended with a lot of clients is that they use a skipping rope or something like that to try and get their activity up, just get their heart pumping. Even if you can't buy one, you can make one out of like, if you have a clothes line outside and uh, you care more about your gains than you do about drying your clothes, then just cut that up into an appropriate size. Even, you, you don't even have to have handles. You can just tie a big knot in it and hold the knot when you use it. And I've even got one client who is been walk, has been walking up and down the stairs. He lives alone, so he's not like pissing anyone off. But and he lives in a house, not a flat. But imagine if he did live in a big block of flats. There's no reason because they're because of like fire safety regs. They're actually in their own concrete shafts, so your neighbours won't actually feel those vibrations, or at least they shouldn't. So there's no reason why you can't say do like if you're not allowed out, at least walk up and down your steps to try and keep your activity higher there. But for the most part, it's be mindful of the fact that you are super inactive. And don't underestimate how low your uh, maintenance calories can drop during this time. Because if you literally, like me, I haven't moved from this chair yet today. So according to this, um, I've only burned 1,200 calories and it's 2 p.m. So if we continue, so if it's 1,200 and I've been up, up since 6, so I, I'd, I'd be lucky to hit 2,000 by the end of the day if I don't move. Whereas my appetite would quite easily have me consuming 2,500 to 3,500. So if we were to extrapolate that over the next six months, that could lead to me potentially gaining around a kilo a fortnight. When you think about it like that, that's quite scary. So um, from that instance, you'd want to make sure that you're moving as much as possible. And then from a calorie perspective, I've actually moved a lot of clients away from tracking calories right now because I think that it's it's at least I'm finding it more stressful myself to try and track calories. So I felt like if I'm finding this more stressful, then clients probably will be too. So what I've done is I've basically taken some general nutrition kind of rules and structures to apply to clients. So instead of them saying, me saying have 200 grams of protein, 300 carbs, 100 fat, um, I've been saying have protein, because again, because some foods are harder to get hold of right now, have protein three times a day, have carbohydrates once a day or twice a day, and then uh, don't deliberately add fats to meals or only add fats to one meal and then depending on the client we adjust those recommendations and then for the most part I found that people were responding very well to having that kind of structure rather than a calorie one and then it's better to err on the side of eating less than eating more right now and if you track your body weight three or four times a week as well you'll get an indication as to whether you're going up or down and essentially just move from there like it's like we said right at the start of the call like the the main goal with clients right now has been assessing what their new maintenance calories are and then that requires some level of consistency and i find i get more consistency from a client when they are say just following those general rules of like three protein a day two carb a day one fat a day rather than the calories because even if someone tells you they've eaten 1800 calories when they're 
sitting at home with 35 penguins in the cupboard, like have they really eaten 1800 calories or have they just only tracked 1800 calories? Whereas the, the tracking portions, you tend, I tend to get more reliable data at the moment where someone's like, Oh, I only had carbs once. I had porridge in the morning. I didn't have them again. I go, did you have any biscuits or something? Oh yeah. Then you had carbs twice. So I I think that's a a really good um, idea in that, you know, we, we, people will need to reassess how much they can eat. And even if somebody's not tracking calories, um, which again, I think, you know, is a perfectly viable option now not, not to track them because, you know, people are dealing with a lot more stress and anxiety. I think making judgments based on how somebody's uh, progress is going with, from a, a weight perspective or potentially even from a, 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 um, a circumference perspective as well, uh, it's really, really useful because I think if you've got that metric where you can say, okay, weight has been consistently going up the past couple of weeks, maybe I'm eating too much, maybe I should cut back a little bit, and I think that's an easy way of doing it. And then once you see that weight is going down, you know you've hit the right spot you may need to change that again in a few weeks, but that's perfectly normal. Um, so yeah, that, that, those are some really, really good points that people need to, uh, to bear in mind. Um, Harry, this has been a super useful conversation, and I really, really think that people are going to um, get a lot of benefit from this. Um, uh, and I don't want to take up too much of your time already because you know, you've been really, really generous with it. But for anybody who wants to kind of find out more about you or to, to follow you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I'm most active on Instagram and in all the like Revive Stronger associated groups and stuff. So the Revive Stronger membership site, the Revive Stronger Facebook group, um, that's where you'll find me ranting the most about anything and probably speaking about Netflix TV shows and the latest book I'm reading. But um, yeah, Instagram will be the best place to find me. So if you're listening to this live, you can just tap on my name. But if you're listening to the podcast, then it's Harry Smith underscore health is my name. Harry, um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And um, I would love to have you back on this at some point in the future. And uh, hopefully we'll all survive the, uh, the emergency right now and be able to do that. Yeah, thank you, Richie. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time as well. All right, man. Have a great rest of the day, okay? You too. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn. It really helps spread word of the podcast, which means I can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health, which means more content for you. It really means a huge amount to me personally too. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at B underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.